Chase going outboard. If I'm up here breaking the laws of physics, must be Monday. Becky Lynch is all fired up. If I'm taking Missy's arm home as a souvenir, must be Monday. Unbelievable. Another week, another victory. Here they come. Must be Monday. Charlotte off the top. The queen is upside down, making her opponents bow down. Look out! Unbelievable! I'm running full speed. I'm taking this barricade with me. I'm gonna need a new drink. Must be Monday. Must be Monday. Debe ser lunes. Must be Monday. Must be Monday Night Raw. The action can't be contained! Insane! Oh, wow! Guys, anything can happen live here on Raw! Must be Monday. Must be Monday Night Raw. Live Mondays at 8 on USA. Today's episode of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling is dedicated fully to the memory of the legendary and one and only American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. But anyway, I know you, I got to go and you guys got to go, but uh, you don't want to miss this thing, man. We need the money. We need the wall. We need the history. We need the memories. And uh, Joe's trying to make that happen. And we all want to pitch in and make that happen as you guys have here. So I'm very, very excited about it and being able to talk to you and you spread the word on it. Well, Dusty, it's been our absolute pleasure and our dream come true. And we didn't even get a chance to talk about all the great moments, including, and how can we forget, your epic turn on WCW to join the NWO. But that'll be a different talk for a different day. That was not epic. That was a bullshit thing I did in one night just for the hell of it. That wasn't even epic. That wasn't even a turn. I mean, come on. I wanted just to prove that night that I was just sat back there with his mouth open and the people nearly had a riot when I turned. On Larry Zabisco, of all people. Holy Christ. Let's do your Hall of Fame speech again. Let's go for 90 minutes about Bruno at the swimming pool and you in the hedges. Um, anyway, I appreciate it. And like I say, the 11th this week, you got to be there. It's a special moment for the building, for us, and for the history of, of what it meant to Florida. And hopefully the kids can understand a little bit more about the way I feel about it, and obviously you guys and history of our business. So thank you very, very much, guys. Talk to you thank later. You, Anytime Dusty. you want to call me about something else, next time just bring money. It'll be different. Obviously, I'm doing this as a but <laughs> no. It sounds good. Thank you, kids. All right. Thanks, All right, pleasure. Thank American Dream. He's just a con. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else!
Oh! Oh my God! This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. And I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Belongs to these people. I'm gonna reach out right now 
I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now reaching out because the love that was given me in this time, I will repay you now because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues. Dusty Rhodes Tour 885 and Ric Flair, Nature Boy. Let me leave you with this. One way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world. That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm gonna take it, I've been there twice. This time when I take it, Daddy, I'm gonna take it for you. Let's gather for it. Don't let me down now, cause I came back for you, for that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real Wolf champion. And I'm proud of you and thank God I have you. And I love you. Love you! Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am a JP a John Paz. And today's episode is the Dusty Rhodes tribute episode here, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. Just want to, of course, say that it is a complete honor and privilege to be able to do this show each and every year. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite shows to do because we get to honor the memory of one of the greatest of all time, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And today's episode is a very, very special one, of course. have to thank the WWE, of course, for always letting us use the clip at the top of the episode, which we absolutely love. Thank you, Kevin Dunn, as always. And it's uh, always fun to talk to him every year around this time as well. Kind of a maybe misunderstood man in the world of wrestling. You hear a lot of stories, but I feel like uh, in my experiences with him and dealing with him he's been absolutely great and thank you and obviously his staff for uh, for everything they've been able to do for us now on to dusty and and this tribute today's episode is going to be a lot of clips from a lot of different guys and the main focus and the main interview that we did was with jj dylan and I, if you know their past friends for a, a very 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 long time from florida to JCP, to WWE, and all everywhere in between. They've just been buddies, and obviously WWE all over again. But they were good, good friends all the time. And JJ tells some absolutely great stories of his friendship and relationship with Dusty. Obviously, back in the day of kayfabe, the Dusty and JJ Dillon relationship on air was a lot different than behind the scenes and Dusty would invite him over the house for Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and things like that and you you wouldn't really know that because the four horsemen were basically trying to kill Dusty and really trying to um, dismember him and, and all this other stuff on air of course and, and keeping kayfabe they could not have a relationship where the fans would see them getting along because it would 
break the character of both guys. So, I mean, it's just really cool kind of getting these in-depth stories from J.J. And it's a little bit of an in-depth uh, interview with him, uh, 35 minutes, 40 minutes or so, really just focusing in on Dusty, which we do every year. If you remember last year, we had on Dustin, which was just absolutely awesome. One of my favorite episodes. It was just so much fun to do. And obviously, he was the perfect guest to talk about Dusty just from a father-son level and obviously wrestled with him as as well and was his boss at one point. So just really cool on, on that level. The year before that, we had on superstar Billy Graham and Nikita Koloff, friends and enemies, quote-unquote, of Dusty. The year before that, we had on Tully Blanchard, who was arguably Dusty's greatest feud. And if you look it up, the guy that got the most wins over Dusty, which is kind of surprising if you think about it and all the matches Dusty and Flair had. But yet Tully actually had the better career record against Dusty than anybody. And then the first year we did our tribute show was all with Magnum TA, which was just great. Obviously, Dusty's really, really close friend and just a good buddy of Big Dust's. So, I mean, every year we just keep doing these awesome tribute shows and just really honor Dusty, and it's just so great to be able to do this and, and, and talk to these guys and really not really talk wrestling, really just talk Dusty. Yes, wrestling will obviously brought up, and we talk about some on-screen stuff, but it really is Dusty the person, Dusty the relationship, what he was like behind the scenes, maybe some stories that we have never heard before. So that's just really, really cool stuff. And James J. Dillon gets very emotional in this interview as well, which I really appreciate from JJ because he was telling some raw and honest emotional stuff. I loved it every second of it. Also, later on after the JJ interview, you will get clips from the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes, his son from a prior interview we did with Cody. You'll hear from Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Dustin Rhodes, Steve Kern, Baby Doll, Superstar Billy Graham, Magnum TA, Nikita Koloff, and yes, Terry Funk, you will hear in there as well. So this is a power-packed episode here of the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling on the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling's Podcast Empire. This is something that um, really is, is kind of bittersweet in, in, in certain aspects for sure. Because I really wish Dusty was still with us and we would do an interview with him every year instead of doing a tribute show. But in the other sense, it is just awesome to be able to be the ones that did Dusty Rhodes' final interview and, and be the one that can honor him because I think that we're such big fans. And I know i uh, just a huge, huge Dusty fan, a huge wrestling fan that I feel like we are the perfect people to have this platform to be able to do this tribute show and just I always want to mention a little anecdote that I probably mention every year and that's getting to know Dusty and and I know I talked to his son about it Dustin I talked to a lot of his friends about it he always made you feel like you knew him or he always made you feel important or he always made you feel special or you were friends with him and he would call me Johnny all the time on the phone and and just really cool because we did a little bit of a pre-interview before it beforehand a little bit of a reminder phone call uh, stuff like that with, with Dusty that they did so it wasn't just the interview spoke to him several times and one time after the interview as well to thank him so it's just kind of cool to create that bond and create that relationship with the American Dream but really not know him that well but you feel like he did so it was just really really cool to me and I know he didn't really know me that well outside of a few conversations but it meant a lot to me to be able to talk to him all that time and he is an absolute icon an absolute legend and one of the greatest of all time so without any further ado 
I will send it on over to a little bit of a, a J.J. Dillon interview, just focusing in on Dusty Rhodes, and of course all those clips of the guys I just mentioned as well. So this is going to be a power-packed and great, fantastic show, and all the interview with J.J., all the clips. You're going to love this one, and I hope Dusty uh, really appreciates this because we absolutely love doing this each and every year. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Michael, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. podcast we've been always talking about the american dream dusty Rhodes. we never kind of like dissected dusty Rhodes, kind of as much as maybe we should have i mean you know, we talked about your relationship with him but we never really kind of got into him as much and i don't know if you you're aware of this or if we tell you this but we always um we have this big tribute episode for him we were actually the last ones to do an interview with him back in 2015 it was actually it was two days before he had passed so we oh, had a yeah, so a very strong connection with Dusty. Had many phone conversations leading up to it, and then one afterwards. And I always kept a, a voicemail on my phone that he left. It was very funny because I didn't know him that well, but he acted like, or he treated me like I did. Like always called me Johnny and stuff. And you know, we had maybe five or six phone calls. Um, nothing like too crazy long, but you know, just nice stuff. And he just treated you like you were. Um, much closer to him than you think. You know, I almost felt like, oh, my God, this guy's my friend. Or my buddy. Oh, my God, I get Dusty Rhodes calling me. So it was crazy. And, and to think of the relationship you had with him, I always thought it's interesting that you were the heel, you know, he was the face, but you followed him through Florida. You were his assistant booker. You followed him to Crocky, your assistant booker. Your relationship with him is just unbelievable to me. Yeah, he was somebody who I enjoyed uh, 
great professional success. Just, you know, wherever he was there, he would have, uh, uh, you know, the Road Warriors and uh, uh, Jimmy Valiant and, and Sam Houston, and he had uh, his, his camp of guys, and, and I was the one across the ring because, you know, as hot as the dream was, he had to have he had to have somebody that was uh, he had to have somebody to, that to fight and and somebody that the fans wanted to see him uh, kick their butt and I was that guy across the ring and yet we were uh, two professionals that developed a tremendous uh, uh, personal relationship for each other got to know Michelle and his and his family, and I, I, I saw, you know, Cody from just a young boy grow up, and we never associated, it was very rare that we that we were ever seen uh, uh, together, and it was uh, usually around the holidays or something, and he'd have a private party with only a very small select group of people there, and he... Uh, invited me and wanted to make sure that I was there and it gave us a chance to um, you know to really you know just just be around each other without without worrying about who might see us and who might say what because you know we we had uh, uh, you know fought each other as hard as we can get and and had just tremendous success business-wise, everywhere we ever went with whoever I had with my guys and Dusty, Dusty was uh, with his guys. And, and I, I remember um, after one of the WrestleManias, um, Vince had a, a private party with only the wrestlers. And then he, he had it, he had it isolated. I was in a public place with an open bar and, uh, a buffet of food, and but it, there was, you know, there were absolutely no fans there, and even the and in that situation, you know, I had my wife at the time, and he was there with Michelle, and um, it, it uh, I, I I get emotional even reliving that moment, but um, it was like, you know, even in that setting it wasn't something that because we we had fought so hard and and for so long that even in that setting you know you know I was at one end and he was at the other end and I was sitting with my wife and there was somebody else there I can't remember who it was and uh you know the conversation got to be about Dusty and talked about um, how much respect that I had for him and, and that, uh, you know, I loved him like a brother that I never had. And the more the conversation went on, it was like, well, you know, he's, you know, he's two tables down. And as you look around the room there, you know, other than some people that are maybe waiters or whatever, you know, there's nobody that, uh, you know, if you, if you didn't, uh, you know, take a private moment and go up to him and just give him a hug that, uh, uh, you know, that anybody would, would uh, be shocked or take exception to it. And I thought, as I looked around and, you know, I had a few drinks, I was relaxed. And 
And I said, yeah. And so I got up and I, I walked to like three tables away and Dusty was standing there with his back to me. And I said, dream. And he turned around and his eyes lit up and it was like two brothers that had not seen each other for a lifetime. And it was like, ah, he hugged me. I hugged him at all. It was a spontaneous thing that happened. And his wife, Michelle, was there, and he, he said, Michelle, come here. She turned around, and I think she was a little bit surprised to see Dusty and I as, as and she knew, you know, because I would, uh, you know, I would call the house because Dusty was the booker. We would, we would talk business, but, um, we were, we would, you know, if we were, if we were in the town somewhere and I walked in and walked into a restaurant and Dusty was in there and yeah, I could have gone to the other side of the thing and sat in there, but I would turn around and leave. That's how protective we were mm. of the business in that era. And so here we were in a setting where we didn't have that scrutiny to deal with. And uh, Dusty said to, to Michelle, come, come here. And uh, it was, it, it's a moment that, that I had trouble describing, but uh I had tears running down my face. Dusty had tears running down his face. Here comes Michelle. <laughs> she looks at the two of us and she lost it. And here are the three of us in this room full of people. And like it's like we were the only ones in there. They were standing in the middle of this aisle in this uh, embrace. At, at, uh, it was like it was a moment that it, it – it was meant to be. And, you know, in a Christmas, he would have a, a party with just, uh, you know, people in the business, and he would make sure that I was uh, that I was invited with my wife to come over there. So it's it, – but those were rare, that, that we would be somewhere where anybody would even see us together in any kind of uh, uh, capacity. You know, that's how protective we were because of uh, God. We, I mean, you know, it just – drawing so much money battling each other for all those years uh, basically you know all around the country and uh, he was somebody that uh, you know uh, people outside of our business you know uh, I probably wouldn't understand it but you know he was somebody and I would I I I would kiss him in the cheek. He would kiss me, and I'd say, "Dream, I love you," and he'd say, "I love you too." And you know, here's um, you know, uh, two grown men, you know, professing their not only respect for each other but a love for each other. Unbelievable the relationship you guys had, and like it's funny you said, it's on air. It's like you guys hated each other behind the scenes. Whole different story. Yep. Yep. And it's like uh, uh, we were in Florida, and it had, and uh, I had when I went to Florida. I always dreamed of wanting to be a booker, and so I finally had a chance, especially to work for Eddie Graham. And I went to Florida, 
And it was an eye-opening experience. When I came in there, um, Don Jardine was there. He was really the only marquee name. The, the territory was down. And I came in, and I thought, boy, you know, I'm gonna, I've got all these ideas about how to produce a great TV and ideas for, for matchmaking and what have you. And it, it was something that I didn't realize that the business is so much more complex other than, yes, it's important to have talent that you can put together a, a great TV, a great television show, um, um, matchmaking and what have you. But I, I, it was the, the reality of it was that, that it was a, uh, a talent-driven business. That you, and this was one thing that I didn't have. I was finally given that opportunity, but when I went in there, I I did did not have my quote unquote crew of guys, and so I struggled and didn't have the impact that I thought I would have. And I remember Eddie Eddie Graham was God. He was wonderful to be around and work for, but and he you know, tried to help me as much as he could. But again, it was, I didn't have a crew of guys that were associated with me that I could bring in and pop the territory. So, you know, it was like six months or whatever. And um, he had been in conversation with Dory and Terry Funk and talking about them basically coming in and replacing me. And so I had had a couple runs in Amarillo, had a great relationship with Dory and with uh, with Terry, and, and, and still do to this day. And so when he approached them, either individually or collectively, they both said that neither of them wanted to leave Amarillo and move to Florida and relocate. And understanding the situation up to that point, they said, well, both of them said, we'll agree to, to to come in and work the territory but not live there, go in and out. And they said the only way that they would agree to do it was if Dusty kept me on in that – or if Eddie kept me on in the position that I had and that they were going to come in and basically be co-bookers with me. And I never had anything like that before and didn't know. It wasn't like a – conversation that I knew anything about all of a sudden they're coming in and where normally a booker would replace another booker and he'd go his separate ways um, here these guys these guys came in and they they didn't relocate they said no we'll work with him and and we'll we'll bring talent what have you and then um, Dusty had always done well and Dusty was a talent that um, you, you, I don't know how to say this the right way, but it's like Dusty is good for just not a long range thing, <laughs> and uh, Dusty needs to be managed. And so Eddie would ease Dusty out of the picture and like send him to New York, and he would he'd have a hell of a run up there. He would, you know, pop New York for Vince McMahon, and then. 
when things got a little bit uh, slow in Florida, he would talk to Vince, and they Vince would suggest, you know, he would say to to, uh, to Dusty, well, you know, the, things are a little bit slow in Florida. Boy, the you know they I know that if you went back there, you could pop the place. So they would pave the they manipulate. It makes it sound like they manipulated Dusty, which is really what they did. But they played on his ego and and also recognized how much just incredible talent the man had. So he would come back to Florida and, of course, immediately pop the place. Well, this was a case again where um, the Funks came in and, and, and really – you know, pop the territory from where when I went in, I helped a little bit, but I only had Don Jardine, and then didn't get the the results. I was you know really working hard to have the best TV, but came the realization that uh, virtually every virtually every other Booker, whether it was I can't think of names of Bookers, but most of them when they would come in would have three or four guys that were their guys that would come in as a package deal, and um, you know, would, would pop a territory. I didn't realize that, that that was even happening, and I didn't have that those, those relationships. But I say when the Funks came in, the only way they would come in was if Eddie made sure that I stayed on in my position, and they would come and help me and work with me and be able to come in and out. And then the same thing happened with Dusty, where you know the business was really good for the with the Funks for a while, and then. You know, it needed needed a spark, and here was Dusty available. And Dusty had always wanted to be a booker, and so Eddie was going to bring him in now back to Florida where he had been such a huge, huge hit and have him come in as the booker. And I really didn't – I hadn't been around Dusty that much, but whether he had talked with the Funks or whatever, I don't know, but Dusty agreed to come back to Florida, and one of the conditions was – that as with the Funks, that I stayed on and in my position and that Dusty would come back. And so, you know, Hetty wasn't, wasn't going to say no to that deal. And so that was the beginning of what was uh, um, developed a great, not only a professional relationship of, of, of success, but becoming, uh, you know, personal friends to the personal side of it. And I always wanted to, promote myself, be a promoter, and ha- and have an interest in the territory. And I had gotten a break years earlier. I started in the Carolinas and then went to the Canadian Maritimes. And they did well for a while, and then their business got bad. And there was a, a guy who was owned an ad agency up there who was actually the television announcer, wanted to start it up again and approached me about coming up and, you know, basically running the wrestling side of it. And so Eddie and and Dusty were thrilled to death to, to have, for me to have that opportunity where I was going to have, uh, you know, uh, ownership without having to put any money up. And they gave me tapes to take up there and basically paved the way for me to go up there. And, and, and I had been there for 10 years. I didn't realize that though I had had an incredible run up there and popped the territory 10 years before, Ten years later, there's a big turnover in fans, and and uh, very seldom can you go back ten years later and have the same impact that you did when you were there ten years before. Hmm. So, very true. Uh, 
I went to I went up to, to Canada, and what happened too was the the guy that had the TV up there that, that wanted to, uh, you know, reestablish the magic that we had had ten years before, went to the TV station, and there was another guy who was uh, Rudy Kay's old partner, a guy named Al Zink, who was connected with TV, but really wasn't that savvy in terms of. Uh, he didn't know the, the wrestling community, and, and he he got the TV and uh, Rudy Kay and you know lined up the talent and ran the wrestling side of it, and they basically collaborated. So you know Al Zink went, went to the ring announcer, and the ring announcer had an ad agency, was doing well, wanted to start it, and so they brought me up there. And got up there, and that's when I realized. And I, I had uh, a couple of Samoan tag team that I brought up, brought in, and but didn't have the impact, the talent, depth, and really put together a great TV, the set, and everything. All all those, you know, residual things. But the the I didn't have the talent depth, and so all of a sudden I realized that uh, after having been there for like you know three months, and he was paying me a guarantee that the territory didn't pop like I envisioned it would with, you know, the TV was, the, everybody said, the best TV they ever had. and But I didn't have the crew of guys that came with me. And I I just, in good conscience, would not stay there, take the guarantee from the guy, knowing that, and, and, and he didn't initiate the conversation, it was me. And I went to him and I said, look, we we really made an impact, but nowhere near what we would need to. And you're you know you're he was paying me a guarantee, and I said we've reached a a, a a point that you continue to do what we're doing. I don't see it making that big leap forward. And and I said I I can't see you. You know he was going to get another mortgage on his house, and and I said I can't see you possibly you know, losing your home over this. So um, I said, I'm, I'm not going to stay here any longer and take your money. We get, took a best shot at it. And what happened was that he had been prom- prom- promised a TV, but Al Zink, who had been up there before, got in tight with the TV people. And so they gave the guy that I went up there with, it was the old... Uh, uh, ring announcer. They gave they gave him another hour TV, but but let Zink keep his TV. So now you got two TVs, and the TV that we had was not at the uh, uh, of the two time times that it was airing. He had the much better time, and I realized that uh, that it would that it it was going to be a struggle, and that this guy was at risk of of you know losing everything, and he didn't see it. <laughs> he didn't initiate the conversation. I didn't. I said, "Look, it's not working out. I'm not going to stay here. You're paying me a guarantee, and and see you, you know, risk you know losing your home and everything." And so he thanked me for for my honesty and being able to, you know, cut it off at that point before, you know, the losses were, you know, were such that he couldn't recover from. So I then, this is three months after I had gone up there. Eddie Graham and Dusty had had given me tapes 
they let me do interviews uh, tailored for the for the market up there, and you know really wanted me to go up there. And, and so I I called Dusty, and I said, Dusty, uh, boy, all the help that you gave me, I came up here with my eyes wide open, and and all of a sudden realized that it's more than having great ideas to producing a TV and what have you. That that it it really is a talent driven business, and I didn't have my nucleus of guys to come in there and pop the territory like it should have, you know, with, uh, you know, me putting together the best TV and everything. And I said, um, so Dusty cut me off mid-conversation. He said, well, he said, your timing couldn't have been better. He said, I've been on the phone. Crockett in the Carolinas has struggled. He's bringing me in, and we're going to pop that territory. And he said, "You pack your bags and head for Charlotte, and we're gonna, we're, you and I are teaming up again." I said, "Wow!" And I said, "Do I need to call Jimmy Crockett?" He said, "Nope. I'll get a deal for you, so you'll be okay financially. You come to Charlotte, and you and I are teamed back together again." Went into Charlotte, and the rest is history. That was like '88, and just we got there, and it was the right placed the right time with the two of us together and just exploded that territory. Oh, boy, did you ever. The legendary Dusty Rhodes versus the Four Horsemen feud in that mid-'90s was just crazy. Feud of the yeah. year, actually, in, in 87, really, when like, Dusty and the Superpowers get you guys in the war games and, and that whole thing, which is crazy. But when you think about Dusty and the Horsemen and that feud and really Dusty being that larger than life, his charisma, his star power versus – player and the horseman and their star power do you think that that is like the the, the pinnacle of, of nwa and pinnacle of crockett and the pinnacle of the feuds there well i you know i i look back and it was like the right place the right time for me personally professionally and in terms of i mean you 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 some sometimes can have all the pieces that you that that you feel good like but I had that same feeling when I went to Canada and got up there. The TV wasn't on at a good time. And the guy who was up there, Al Zink, dug his heels in and was connected with the TV. So there were two competing television programs with wrestling. And it just it wasn't the right situation. It wasn't the same situation that I'd walked into 10, 10 years before that I popped the territory. I was the right place, the right time. And that basically, uh, you know, established, you know, my my career and my, and you know my my ability to be successful. So, uh, you know, with Dusty coming to Charlotte, and it just again was the right place, the right time. Dusty coming in, me coming in, and I could never do what Dusty. Could do. Dusty was what I call a big picture guy. He would see the big picture, and uh, I was the detail person that made Dusty's ideas bear fruit to the maximum. And Dusty would put together a TV, and I had an office right next door to him with Gene Anderson. I shared an office, and Dusty would come in, and he would write down the TV, and he'd write <laughs> throw that Gucci bag over his shoulder, go out and get in his Mercedes convertible, and 
<coughs> I would then take that TV and look at it. And it was like, oh, he had two guys. He had one guy, you know, in two different segments. He forgot that he already had him on the show. So, in other words, I guess what I'm saying is that I could never have done what Dusty did, but I complimented Dusty and was the detail person that he wasn't, that the collaboration with the two of us uh, was a very, very successful combination. And we just exploded that place. And um, I never, it, 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 I never said that I could be Dusty or do what he could do. And he always um, took care of me, looked at me because, and we never had that conversation about about him saying, "Well, you know, you take my ideas and and you make them work and make them be big." And, bigger and better than I ever thought they could be, you know, and he, he used to talk to Jimmy about what Dusty's dream was to go to the next level was to go to Hollywood and make movies. And of course it was like, uh, you know, and he wanted me to be part of that package. And Jimmy liked the idea, which caused some friction in the Crockett family because they had been such a a foundation in, in Charlotte and wrestling going back to Jim senior and Dusty wanted, uh, with the idea in mind of eventually going to make movies in California, they had a chance to, to buy Watts's. Watts's territory was for sale, which had, he had a nice, really nice office in Dallas. And so Jimmy bought Dusty's operation, or, or uh, Miss Alice. Yeah, and so Dusty was going to move to. Uh, to Dallas, and and he said, "You come with me. You come with me. We're, we're moving to Dallas, and we'll we'll explode that territory. And then eventually, we're going to go to California. Eventually, in the future, and make movies." And so <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of faith in him. He had a lot of faith in me, and 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 the two of us. Like I said, I could never do what he did, and yet he never made me feel that that without him. I wouldn't be the, have the success that I was enjoying. If, if I, I don't know how else to phrase that. It just, you know, we were just a, a team that um, just had so much success that that uh, we never needed to say to each other, you know, I couldn't do this if we weren't together with you and I, or him saying the same thing to me. We just went and did it. You guys were great together, and obviously he's totally larger than life, one of the greatest of all time, the American dream. How would you describe it? The the wrestling business is is that way. It's like you never know what's around the corner. And Mm -hmm. some people go their whole career that have talent that just are never fortunate enough to be at that right place at the right time at that moment where something magical happens. And it happened with me a couple times. And being with Dusty, um, and and, and it it wasn't something that we ever, that we ever, we never even reflected back on. It's just we did it. And we did it together and everything we did. um, And I, I knew that I could never do what Dusty did, but I knew that I, made him be the best he could be and 
and I and I and he 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 never never uh, I don't know how to say this <clears throat> never never put that out on the table where you realize you know where you are the success you're having is because of me he never said that and I don't think that I would like to think that that's not the way he thought because he did he treated me with tremendous tremendous respect and just uh, and, and my temperament and my uh, everything is I, I you have in this business you have to have an ego and some people their ego can uh, can run wild to the point of almost, almost being self-destructive. And at times, Dusty seemed like he was, it looked like he was heading that way. I never, I never, I, yeah, you had to have an ego, and an ego in the sense was confidence in what you could do and what you could accomplish. And I just went and did it. It didn't need somebody patting me on the back or telling me how great I was. I just enjoyed the moment and the success and didn't really stop and think about it. And and we became incredibly, incredibly close and very seldom did we ever socialize. And at Christmas, he would always have a party at, at his house and he would have uh, just people that it's almost like he invited people that would have been comfortable for me being there without anybody you know, doing a double take and say, what's he doing here? And made it a point for me to be there. And Michelle always had a, 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 you know, a beautiful gift that she went and picked herself for me. And, and it was a time for Dusty and I to, to just be ourselves and enjoy the moment knowing that we worked so hard for 51 weeks out of the year. And here was this time where he and I could be together and um, just, Savor, savor the moment. And there was, uh, like I say, one of the big WrestleManias. Uh, uh, um, I was at a table and my wife was with me. And uh, I'm trying to think of Sakurata where somebody was there and, and who uh, I had had great success with. But anyway, three, four tables away was Dusty. And it wasn't, you know, the, you know there were people that were waiters there that uh, – it was mostly people on the inside of the business, but you know there might have been a few other people there and uh, had a few drinks. And finally, it was like you know my I don't know who it was with Sakurata said, you know you 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 guys have had so much success together. You uh, you should have a moment with the two of you. You know, forget you know there's nobody here. It doesn't you know it's not gonna you know. You should. It would be terrible to be here and celebrating a phenomenal year, and and have the two of you not be able to to have a moment to share together. And so it's like you. So I went up, and um, Dusty had his back to me, and I walked up behind him and I said, "Dream," and he turned around, and <laughs> you know his his eyes got big and lit up, and. It's like two brothers that had not seen each other for a lifetime, 10 years, 20 years, and all of a sudden we're having a reunion. And he opened his arms to hug me, and I opened my arms to hug him at the same time. And uh, he couldn't talk. I couldn't talk. We were both crying that hard. Uh, 
and there was a pause, you know, where and Michelle was three, four feet away and had her back turned and Dusty said, Michelle <laughs> she she turned around and and looked at Dusty, looked at me, both of us just tears streaming down. She came over and it was a, a three way hug. All of us crying. Crying like babies. And uh never forget that moment. And he was somebody that uh it's almost terrible to have somebody that uh, that you love like a brother that because of the business that you're in and, and how it's structured that that you never get opportunities to uh you know, to have those those private moments and that and, and that was one of them and uh and I'll uh, I'll never forget that. Moment. Thank you for sharing that story. That's just unbelievable. I absolutely love it, and you just see the love and respect and the bond that you two had. And it, when Dusty passed, I talked to Michelle, and Dusty had had, uh, had had lost some weight, and there was all kinds of rumors going around that uh, that Dusty was sick or something. And and at the uh, at the memorial service. Uh, Michelle, you know, we we had some time together, very quiet, and she said, uh, you know, I want to set it straight that, that that Dusty was not sick. Dusty realized for his own health that he needed to lose some weight, and he was really working hard with the diet. And of course, people saw that he was losing some weight, and then right away, oh, Dusty's sick, something's wrong. And I said, this was just a, a freak thing. She told me what happened. She said. Uh, that one night he he uh, he fell out of bed, and so she said, "Are you, are you all right?" And he said, "Yes." And um, so they, you know, they I think they called paramedics or something to come just to check him over and make sure he was all right, which he was. And then it was like. They were going to send. They, I think they even sent him to the to uh, an emergency room just to to let him do some tests and stuff, and everything was fine. He came back, and Michelle, <coughs> she told me she said that there wasn't anything that they could ever put their finger on as to why it happened, but she said all of a sudden uh, it was like a chain reaction. Where bang, 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 one, one right after another, all of Dusty's major organs just shut down, and he collapsed and uh, passed away. Hmm. And he said it was, I, it was a crazy thing that people are gonna, that the stories are gonna go that there, you know he'd been really sick, and he said it's not true. He had had lost some weight because he wanted the doctor told him you know that you should lose some weight you know. You're going to have enjoy a longer life span if you lose some of that weight. And I said that's what he was doing, and it just was just uh, something that just happened because nobody in this world ever knows when that time is going to come. You know, when we're born, the only thing for sure that we know when we're born is the day will come where we die. We never know where or when or how old we'll be or what the circumstances are, and most people don't don't drive themselves crazy trying to figure all that out because they'll never come up with an answer. And when the, you know whether it's a, 
a car wreck, whether it's old age, whether it's illness or whatever it is, you know, hopefully you get a chance to find whatever your role in life is and do the best that you can and be as successful as you can and and enjoy life and and you learn that family is so important and um, that, you know, a relationship like I had with Dusty uh, is something that um, you, you can't duplicate something like that. It's just it's something that happens. And uh, I would tell him that I loved him, and he would tell me that he loved me. And uh, yep, I, I, I'm, I miss him, and I did. I loved him. It was uh, I never? I have a sister, but I don't have a brother. And he was the closest that uh, anybody ever came. Uh, to being that brother that I never had, and uh, he just—he uh, was a wonderful, wonderful person, and a beautiful family. And I, like I said, I got to see Cody grow up, and I, and I know Dusty would be so proud of everything that he's accomplishing because he he had his father to to look up to as a as a role model, and I, and that's why that. You know, for Dusty, for all the people that looked at him and thought he had this big ego and everything, Dusty was really very grounded. He was very much a family man, loved his family, loved the business, and uh, and and worked the success that he had. He worked hard to achieve, and I'm just blessed that I had the time that we had together and the success that we had. And you know, there's t- there's private moments like this where I I do I think about him and I miss him. committed to it than I was. I just took it as uh, having fun, making a living, enjoying what I was doing, and, uh, uh, you know, but Dusty took it very seriously, see. He, it, was, it was really, really business, and, uh, and of course, uh, uh, you know, he went on to, uh, you know, uh, to once he left uh, Florida, went on to Charlotte to, to book up there, and uh, uh, you know, so. Uh, but but his biggest uh, his biggest thrill uh, really was uh, working with me in the garden, uh, uh, both gardens, Boston Garden and uh, and the Madison Square Garden, of course. Uh, uh, the, the bull rope match, bringing that to Madison Square Garden. And uh, uh, Texas Jeff match, which is nothing more than a no DQ match. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it was a, you know, it was was a good title. It was a very, and the Dusty B for Texas was a Texas Jeff match. So, so, okay, so it's a glorified no DQ match. But uh, that was his biggest thrill was uh, uh, working in the garden. uh, and then selling out, everything sold out. He was just so over, uh, so much charisma. It just, uh, you know, uh, it really, really, really turned the fans on. And uh, 
I know that Vince Senior, uh, who was, uh, uh, you know, called all the stuff at the time, uh, at, at that era, during that era, uh, he really accommodated Dusty going back and forth to Florida. Like in Boston, for example, uh, you know, we, the, the back then the main event went on like third, fourth, and, um, uh, and, and Dusty uh, would fly up from Florida in Boston when we work in the Boston Gardens and uh, we arrived like at 4 o'clock his flight and uh, get over to the building and, and we go on like 3rd or 4th so, so Dusty could get back to the airport and fly back to Tampa on 11 o'clock last flight to Tampa out of Boston. Last <laughs> 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 turn around from all the way from Florida to Boston, uh, and just being there for a few hours. But uh, uh, but of course, uh, uh, it was well worth it. And uh, 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 but uh, Vince uh, Senior and of course Junior uh, loved uh, Dusty. Brought so much excitement. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he just was so natural. You know, you you look at now. We have to look at the, uh, you know, tapes. We have to look at the, uh, you know, everything uh, recorded. Uh, you can see it when you really watch him. You can see uh, see how natural he was. Uh, nothing was forced. Everything was easy. Every everything seemed to come come naturally. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, with Dusty, so uh, probably the uh, without question the best uh, babyface uh, I ever I ever worked with um, uh, was Dusty. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Um, Obviously, you know, the, his persona of the, quote, American dream, you know, a- apple pie, you know, baseball, hot dogs, <laughs> you know, Dusty Rose, right? The American dream. And so to be able to kind of kind of pair that, that scenario up with, you know, the, the epitome of evil, the, you know, the, the, the Russian commie, you know, still in an era of, of uh you know, uh, the patriotic era of, of, of hating the Russians, uh, especially for what they did and boycotting the, you know, the, the games in Los Angeles. Um, it just made, as you're saying, it just made perfect sense to, uh, to pair up the two of us and, and, and made for a natural angle. And then, of course, you know, fast, you know, we, there's never a lot of, a lot of different matches we had that we could talk about from, Bull rope matches to Russian chain matches to, uh, you know, just a variety of matches. But, um, and then fast forward and parlay that into the angle uh, of, of, of becoming the superpowers that nobody on the planet at the time ever even 
considered that to be a possibility, you know, that in and of itself, because of it being such an impossibility, got over in such an incredible way, uh, just amazing. pretty insane especially in Florida you know and uh, it was uh, probably the greatest feud in wrestling at that time all you had to do is put us in the ring uh, not even put us in a ring put us in the same arena that's the same thing with Lawler you know put us in the same arena we don't have to be in a ring together and uh, we'll find each other but the people know that we're going to find each each other before the night's over. Now he mentioned that that Fatso story. Is that true? Would you go around talk uh, talking about Dusty calling him Fatso? Well, if Dusty was close enough to hear it, I'd go ahead and say, <laughs> "Is that so? Is that so?" <laughs> he was too dumb to pick up on it. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about you guys? you and Dusty that, you know, you, you could never get along. You guys were always feuding, always having wild, iconic, crazy brawls. What was it like between you two and the, and the chemistry? You guys never seemed to quite get along. Well, you know, it was, uh, it was a continuous feud. Not even, uh, it didn't even, it went back further than uh, myself in wrestling. It went back to West Texas University, you know. And uh, it actually went back to whenever Dusty was was playing behind me. He was playing like a second team guard, and he could never start for West Texas because I was always ahead of him. I was always a, I was always so much better than Dusty. I was wrestling for Eddie Graham 
in championship wrestling in Florida. And uh, Dory Funk Jr. was the booker uh, when I was first there. And and I was and I was real good friends with uh, Mike Gray, and Mike's the one that brought me in. And and so I was there and, and just you know kind of learning the ropes and uh, you know working my way you know on the bottom up the middle of the card and uh, you know just again paying my dues and, and learning learning the art that we all you know were so passionate about. And I met Barry Wyndham about a month prior to uh, meeting Dusty and. Barry and, and Dusty were very close because of Dusty's relationship with with, with uh, Barry's dad, Black uh, Jack Mulligan, and and Barry and I we we struck up this immediate uh, very unique relationship as well. And when Dusty came in, uh, it kind of just put me in a situation where because of Barry's relationship, I I was kind of thrown into the mix and and uh, traveled with him and went down the road with him and then. Times when Barry wasn't there, it would just be Dusty and I. We just uh, found we had this kind of kindred spirit thing going on, and it was it was just amazing because Dusty, everybody can imagine Dusty going down the road listening to Willie Nelson, but Dusty could listen to Frank Sinatra and all kind of just old nostalgic music and things like that, and be just as passionate about that as he was country music. And I had this real diverse background in music and different things like that too. So we just we we uh, we we hit it off big down there in Florida. Uh, had a very strong bond, and it just grew uh, and continued to grow. You know, over from like 1982, uh, you know, until you know his passing. Well, they call him the natural, natural as can be. Yeah, they call him the natural. But he had to do it his own way He did it with courage and strong will Now just look at him today He's walked out of the shadow And he's blazing his own trail He told him from the beginning That I'll never fail Now they're calling the natural He's naturalist to be They call him the natural It just comes naturally Pops um, Pops always lived on the edge of a lightning bolt, and he said it a lot in his promos. He is the most incredible man I've ever met in my entire life, and just um, a great father, great friend, great man. And Dusty will always be remembered in in our industry, and he's with all of us. Because he is the, he he was the common the common man, he was a a man of the people, and he talked to you, talked to you. He, he you could feel him and feel his words constantly. He knew Dusty was talking to you specifically when he was looking at the TV, and those are lasting memories that that this will never fade. And for me especially, he's been. You know, a great father and wonderful friend, and I love him and I miss him. I'm glad that you guys are doing a, a tribute show. Uh, that that's that's pretty awesome, and I'm sure he would appreciate it. And he would yeah. always say, "Keep stepping, man." 
first blood match was was a when Dusty came out and had my head had my name on the side of his head uh like a football helmet and uh that was oh, yeah. that was cuz I didn't know that was going to happen and I got in the ring and here he came uh but you know some of those that that first blood match was was a was a tremendous match uh and uh you know you got to you can have good matches and when you were wrestling every night of the week like we were back in those days um you you didn't have your a plus game every night i mean you had your a game but the a plus game you know a little bit of extra a little bit of this a little bit of that and uh starcade certainly was one of those little bit of extra type nights and uh the that match just, I mean, it was just a, uh, click type setting. And, uh, you know, for, for, uh, dusty to lose the first blood match was pretty phenomenal anyway, because nobody would have expected that. And, uh, uh, it's, uh, it, it's a pretty memorable, pretty memorable match. He could be here in the arena. Oh, no. Dusty, don't touch her. No, don't touch her. No, don't, no, don't do that, Dusty. Belaya could be right here in the building. Oh, no. It's totally Blanchard. Blanchard has come from behind. Oh, my goodness. Blanchard. He held Dusty Rhodes in Sam Houston. hard but then it was easy at the same time i mean you know most people wouldn't want to go out and have a 30 a 40 or 50 minute match with dusty because it was difficult to work with it sometimes because it was just it was it was just you worked and it wasn't like oh yeah just go out there and have a match when you worked with dusty you worked and and you worked every single night to get every ounce of energy because look at, look at what we were having to follow. Like if, if we were on a typical card, we followed probably Midnight Express against Rock and Roll Express, and then we would have like Tully against um, Dusty, and then you had Flair against Magnum or something in the main event. Now how are you, you – you've got to give everything, otherwise people aren't going to remember you. And you know what? People remembered every single match on that card, and that's a testament to Dusty, but then – it's also a testament to everybody that was on the card, but no one went out of that arena going, oh, you know, I'm never going to go to wrestling again. They couldn't wait until next month to spend their, you know, $10, $20 to come see us again. And that, you know, that's a testament right there. Dusty had everyone working with the best person that they could work with to bring out cards, and people remember us 30 years later, you know, and, and really have nothing bad about anything to say about us.
Well, you know, there were so many, and one that jumps to the front, I don't, I'd rather hold back, but the, the second best one is Dusty liked to be able to get over on other people. And I had traveled some territories where it was pretty hardcore. And there was, you know, you spent a lot of, and I had traveled up in Pensacola out of Mobile working for the Fields family and got around Ken Lucas and Ricky Gibson and a couple of those people and got, <laughs> and I learned some things. And one time we were driving down, <clears throat> going down the road. I'm not even sure where we're going, but in the middle of the road on the interstate, there's long yellow lines and there's long, there's these smaller white lines. And I already knew the answer to this because of the guys from some, either Lucas or Gibson or somebody told me from another territory and I actually got out and walked them off. But I said to Dusty, I said, how long do you think those white lines are in the middle of the interstate here? And he's looking, he looks at me like, you know, have you run out of things to talk about? And I said, no, how long do you think these white lines are? And he goes, uh, I'll do my dusty. Go, hey, baby, these white lines ain't no more than three feet long. And I said, there's no way. I said, them white lines are 15 feet long if they're an inch. And he goes, there's no way in hell them white lines are 15 feet long. They ain't no more than three feet long. Speed limit was 70 miles an hour back then. We're probably doing 80. So Dusty decides we're pulling off. He said, I'll bet you two grand the Tim White line are no more than five feet long. So he was going to give me a margin, but now he's wanting to bet money. So I said, okay, just get stopped. Pull over. So we stopped probably in the middle of the night, one or two o'clock, coming back from somewhere. And he gets out, and he had cowboy boots on and no shirt on. He's got his boots, his pants, jeans tucked down in his boots, and he gets out there and he says, one, and he put his other boots in front of himself, two, he got to like 12, and he's going, man, this is some good shit. And as we get to like almost 15, he looks at me and he goes, oh, man, we got to pull this on a bunch of people. All of a sudden, he's turned what my two grand was for reward of having it 15 feet into, we're going to get other people with this. So, that was just kind of a simple story about Dusty, but he was a great guy. I mean, you know, funny, he he just did things different than any anybody else I was ever around. And he always had the ability to make me smile. Three days before Dusty passed away, he called me, and he left an answer machine message on my phone. And I'll just tell you basically what he said was, Hey, baby, I just wondered about you. Hope everything's good. I know you're all right. Having a good time with them grandchildren. I love you. Talk to you soon. And then I sent a picture of me and him back to him, texted. I didn't even talk to him on the phone, but I sent a picture back of me and him where he's in a tie-dye T-shirt, and he's got his arm around me, and I've got some belt on, and we're just standing there as young guys, you know, and he wrote for Eddie, and he said back to me, he said, I love that tie-dye T-shirt. 
I'll send the picture to you, and that way it proves what I said anyway. <laughs> Let me tell you something, too, Holly Race. If you want it one more time, I don't want to go to St. Louis. I don't want to go to Chicago. I don't want to go to Philadelphia. I don't want to go to Louisiana. I don't want to go to Texas. I want to whip your butt right here in Georgia one more time. You understand? That's all the green got to say right now. I'm going to be back in a minute with a big victory, Jack. There you have it, the comments from the world heavyweight wrestling champion, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty is one of the, the few guys, and there's probably just a few, that to this day, I, if he walked, God bless him, out on my deck where I'm sitting right now, I would just sit here with my jaw on the ground thinking to myself, God, what a big star he is. Um, I feel that way today. I feel that way uh, my entire career and the first time I ever met him. I was just starstruck. He's one of those rare individuals that it just comes out of his pores. And uh, Dusty Rhodes was never Virgil Runnels. Dusty Rhodes was always Dusty Rhodes. And it wasn't something he put on in the morning and took off at night. He was that's who he was and he was a huge star and uh he was a creative guy and uh one thing one thing dusty knew better than anything is dusty knew how to program a show with him at the lead and he should have been in the lead and uh sell some tickets and uh i learned a lot from him i learned just being in the by osmosis just being in a match with him elevated me i know that and uh, I saw it happen to a lot of guys, and uh, he was something special. There will only be one, that's for sure. Definitely true on Dusty. And do you think that the Horsemen would have gotten kind of as big as they did without Dusty being that perfect foil for them? I think Dusty needed the Horsemen, and the Horsemen needed Dusty. I agree with that 100%. Then you filter in uh, the Rock and Roll Express, and you figure in, you know, all the other players, the Midnight Express, you, you know, Ronnie Garvin, you name it. Everybody that uh, that was in that era that was contributing, the Road Warriors, my God, you know, we had a lot of lot of packed houses wrestling those guys. Uh, it was just one of those when you got Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner in the first and second match. As good as those guys were, you know, it was just loaded, top to top to bottom. Uh, you know, the Russians, it's incredible. Incredible amount of talent came through Jim Crockett Promotions, that's for sure. I'm not here as the American dream tonight. I'm here as Virgil Runnels, and I, and I want the McMahons to hear what I got to say. Is Triple H said, hey, by the way, if you don't beat Randy Orton, you lose your job. You ought to work your unemployment line because that's what's best for business. Having two sons you are proud of, two sons that you love with all your heart is what's best for business. No, I mean, uh... What you just said, the last thing you just said, is is the reason for his success. Um, as a performer, he made the fans around him feel really good. In in the 
context, you, you know, we're speaking and doing an interview. He made you guys um, feel really good. My dad had a link to the fans. He had a link to to his colleagues, his peers. He just had a link. And uh, it was very entertaining to witness uh, from, a, you know, sitting out in the stands. And it was very entertaining to witness if you were in the ring with him or in you guys' case, speaking to him on the phone. He just, he has a link with people. Um, anything that was, you know, a people-pleasing industry, he could have, uh, he could have really excel that he would have been an excellent preacher uh he probably could have been the president of the united states if had they just let him write his own speeches i mean he uh he just has a connection with with people and i think at the heart of it all it's very simple why it's genuine um wrestling is about selling tickets and then selling tickets because they had a good fan consumer you know experience at the time in my dad's case, I don't know if it really was ever about selling tickets. As much as it was about just just making people feel happy, that made him feel happy. And uh, that's why he did it for so long. It, it was just genuine. There's so many con artists and shakedown folks, in, not just in wrestling, but in show business. Uh, show business is a shady, shady industry, but he was uh, the least shady individual you'd ever meet. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, nice guys don't always finish last. And, you know, Dusty certainly didn't. Unreal. And just, you know, Mount Rushmore. If you could put that Mount Rushmore of professional wrestlers, you got to put Dusty on there for sure. And, you know, was he a big influence on you actually getting into the wrestling business? Or did he not really want you to kind of follow in his footsteps? Uh, I think um, – it's difficult to say because he, he told me, you know, he verbalized to me he did not want me to be um, a pro wrestler. He wanted me to be an actor um, or anything else. He wanted me to take my scholarship offer I had to go amateur wrestle. And he wanted me to be anything else. But he also knew I had, um, just from fandom, that I had a love for it. And um, he would bring me around it. So when you're backstage and you're around some of these larger-than-life characters, um, guys with spiked shoulder pads, guys painting their face, these huge men, these, these colorful, elaborate costumes, it's just overall pageantry, the pyro, the production. I mean, what the hell else are you going to want to do? Um, and I just, I just fell, I fell for it. Uh, and, um, he knew that. So he would say, Hey, I don't want you to do it, but he didn't put up much of a fight when I told him, Hey, I, I actually really want to give this a true, true undivided attention and give it a true run. Uh, he, he helped make it happen uh, for me. And then he, uh, as soon as he helped open that door for me, he stepped back and, you know, never, he, he did not really have much measure on my career after that as far as like input he was no longer on the creative team he he wasn't at developmental with me we did some stuff together from time to time and you know he got he helped give me my first break on television with randy orton but uh that was one of the great things about him is he let me he let me do my thing and he didn't want me to bleach my hair blonde or do his elbows or 
try and you know talk like he did. He 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 actually was the one who told me. He said you should dye your hair black and just be mean as a snake and just be the absolute opposite of me. Um, so yeah, no, there's uh, just thinking about him now, man. I just get super misty-eyed because I just I, I miss my father so much and wasn't ready to lose him. Um, but that's you know that's what happened. And some of these arenas and buildings I've been in lately, they remind me more of them than anything. Um, so it feels it feels good to have a connection with him uh, like that again. Absolutely. And, you know, the amazing legacy that he left behind, but all that advice and that influence that he had on you, how do you kind of use that looking forward, you know, looking into the future? How do you use his advice? So, you know, I was kind of saying this in the last, my my last answer and and uh maybe a better way to i i didn't use his advice so much in his uh life but in his death i've used his advice considerably more it's kind of one of those what would dusty do situation and uh, i found myself asking that a lot and uh and you just have to i think his gut was similar to my gut and uh, maybe I didn't follow my gut for a while there at kind of the, you know, my latter days at WWE. So to be able to follow my gut, uh, just that, that reminds me so much of him because my dad was not a overthinker. He was not an overanalyzer. You can ask a lot of the guys who went through his communications class at NXT. Um, it was, uh, he wanted to make you feel comfortable because when you're comfortable and you're speaking, that audience is also comfortable or you're going to make them uncomfortable as much as you can. You know how, how that all works. But, uh, I just, I just hope we have a similar gut and I find myself in a lot of those, what would Dusty do situations? And, uh, it, I don't, I don't do so much what Cody would do anymore. I, I've <laughs> lately been doing a lot of what, what would Dusty do? Now, I, I read in another interview, it said that he kind of gave you advice years ago. Obviously, you didn't follow it, like you said, until he ended up mm-hmm. passing on. But, you know, the, the advice of leaving the WWE, was that, you know, was that really something that he wanted? Was that just something like, yeah, you should think about maybe doing it to your career? Well, um, I think it's hard for people to believe this. Um because it just all comes out after the fact that I'm no longer with WWE, but uh, he was very firm about it. Actually, he uh, we had the discussion in Miami um, at, at WrestleMania because I was very disappointed in the direction that I was going, and uh, and he thought that would be best because at the time he was thinking more of a leverage standpoint. Like, well, you know, if you if you if you put your foot down, essentially. Uh, if you if you man up, um, if you feel you've been slapped in the face, slap them back in the face, and 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 you leave. They'll know what they were missing. And uh, he was speaking both from a business standpoint, but also because I was his favorite. Because I I mean like as I was his son, you know. And he's speaking from a dad standpoint as well. And uh, that's why I didn't take it because he's a, that emotional connection to it. I that just seems you know, like too much of an emotional decision. And then I look back at it and I, I'm glad I didn't actually ask for my release then, but there were times that came after that, 
that was definitely moments where I should have said, okay, you know, things are not, um, I'm not getting closer to my goal. I'm getting farther away. And the best thing to do is maybe take a step back and, uh, and take all this in. Um, so yeah, no, that was something he was very firm on after WrestleMania in Miami. He, he wanted me to, I don't even remember what his plan was. I think he, he always would say, you just go to LA. I think he thought if, if you just go to LA, you'll just, you're guaranteed to get a, a part, which is not the case at all. And incredibly difficult. Um, but he, uh, that was always his plan for me. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.